Namaste. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because, of, because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, Who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben, and it's a privilege to be able to bring God's Word to us this morning. And I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, what do Australians worship? Who do Australians worship? I wonder if you've ever thought about that question before. Now, if we define worship as singing songs on a Sunday, then maybe we'd conclude that not many Australians worship Anymore, But if we define worship as the act of ascribing worth to something, whether that, whether that be God or anyone else, then we must conclude that everybody worships. Everyone values something. In fact, David Wallace, the late American writer, said, In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody Worships. So my question is, what do Australians worship? What is our national religion? And if you ask me, I would say consumerism. Consumerism. Think about it. There may have been a time where the centre of the community was the church. Most towns, most places were built around churches in Australia. But now the centre of the community is the shopping centre, whether that be Westfield or Warner Marketplace. Think about how many people you usually bump into at the shops. It's a, it's a community 
centre. It's where Australians find community these days. In fact, the shopping centre is kind of like our modern day temple. There are hundreds of gods to choose from. If you want to worship the god of status, his name is Apple. If you like the goddess beauty, she goes by a few names. To some she's Sephora, to others she's Maya. If you prefer the god of pleasure, well, there are altars everywhere. McDonald's, Hungry Jack's, KFC, Subway, Grilled, Betty's Burgers, and a crowd favourite, Event Cinemas. Okay, so I'm being a little playful here, but the reason I'm doing this is because our society is so saturated by consumerism that we can hardly see it until we point it out. We're kind of like fish who don't even know what water is because we live in it. So what's my point? Well, I want us to understand the reality of consumerism in Australia because if I'm even half correct about Australian culture... The words of Jesus in Luke 16 are more important than we could ever imagine. The words of Jesus in Luke 16 are more important than we could ever imagine. Today, Jesus is going to be challenging us about money, wealth and possessions. Now, if you just got a little stiff when I said that, that's all the more reason for you to listen in. Satan hates it when his systems of bondage and deception are challenged, and he wants nothing more than to keep you and me from the unlimited joy and freedom that we would have in Jesus. So let's lean in, let's listen in to what Jesus talks about in this story, in this parable that we are looking at today. Now, it can be a little difficult to understand. In this story, we encounter a crook. He's a financial manager for a wealthy person, And he hasn't been managing his assets very well. So his boss comes in and says, you're fired, hand in the account of your management. Before doing this though, the dishonest manager comes up with a crafty plan. He realises he will be in a terrible situation if he doesn't have any friends once he leaves this management position. He will be out in the street without any job or friends to take him in. So he makes friends quickly. He finds all the people that owe his master money. He writes off large portions of their debt. He saves them a lot of money. And then he hands in the account of his management. Now, most of us expect his boss to give him a whooping. But instead, to our surprise, the master praises him for his cunning. Now, this is probably what tricks most of us up about this story. We simply cannot imagine that Jesus would have us emulate, have us learn from such a shady character. But Jesus has told stories about shady characters plenty of times. I mean, think about it. He tells us about a guy who discovers a treasure in someone else's field, so he covers it up, goes and deceives a person, buys off the field off them for a smaller amount of money, and then he rejoices when he gets to uncover that treasure and take it for himself. I mean, Jesus has told stories about plenty of shady characters. He's a master storyteller. He uses techniques like this to make us think further and deeper about what he wants us to learn. And in this case, he uses a person of questionable character to teach us some things about life in his kingdom. About life in his kingdom. So what does Jesus want us to learn from the shrewd manager? If you're taking notes... This next section is the application section from the story. 
verses, the second half of verse 8 to verse 13. We're going to split into three sections, three lessons that we can learn. Verse 8 to verse 9, verse 10 to 12, and verse 13. Alright, so the first lesson for us in verses is in verses 8 to 9. Jesus says, The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So he says that straight after telling the story. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now the manager in the story was shrewd, tactful, cunning. He knew he was going to be on the streets soon and he didn't want to be homeless. So he made friends with his master's debtors by saving them a whole heap of money, even though it was at his master's expense. And Jesus essentially says, people of this world are cunning in their use of wealth. And they are cunning in their dealings with each other. They are really intelligent about taking care of, number one, themselves. Whether that means hoarding as much money as possible for a comfortable retirement, or whether, like a dishonest manager, it means cheating your boss to benefit yourself. The people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. A horrifying example of this can be found in the life of J. Paul Getty. Michelle and I recently watched a movie based on his disturbing actions during the events of his grandson's kidnapping. And the movie is called All the Money in the World and Getty is played by Christopher Plummer, who you can see on the screen. And at the time, it was believed that Getty was the richest man in the world. In 1966, as a private citizen, he was worth around $9 billion in today's term. That's 9,000 millions of dollars. He was a cunning businessman. He was known for his, his thriftiness, his stinginess. Apparently... He, he did his own laundry by hand because he didn't want to pay for his clothes to be laundered. And when his shirt would become frayed at the cuffs, he would simply trim off the frayed part instead of purchasing new shirts. Now, all the Dutch people probably like him right now. But just wait a moment. You, this guy's not a good guy. He even had a pay phone installed in his mansion so that the visitors had to pay for their own calls. He was extremely shrewd with his money. But one of the most perverse examples of Getty's stinginess occurred during his grandson's kidnapping. An Italian mafia group kidnapped his 16-year-old grandson and asked for $17 million in return. Getty refused to pay. After months of negotiation, the kidnappers eventually lowered their ransom from 17 all the way down to $3 million. And even then... Getty only agreed to pay $2.2 million. Why? Well, it was the maximum that would be tax deductible. And he lent his own son the remaining 800000 at 4% interest. It was, a, it was a horrifying movie. All the while, this, this child was in months of captivity. His captors didn't know how to take care of him. He got an infection. They, I'm not sure what the drug's called. Penicillin, I think. They gave him too much penicillin, and uh, he, he was a mess after that. He ended, up taking, he ended up getting addicted to drugs and being paralyzed for the rest of his life because of the trauma of that incident. So even with the safety of his own grandchild at stake, Getty was cold and calculating with his money. 
and you couldn't help but feel disturbed after watching this movie. Now, Jesus' point is, is not that we should emulate Getty or the dishonest manager's self-interest. Rather, Jesus' point is that we should emulate them in their wise use of wealth. We should be just as shrewd in using our possessions, our money, our wealth for God's kingdom purposes. So we have entered into, into God's kingdom, right? Have we not? God has poured out his grace and his love into our lives and he has made us citizens of a new kingdom where the values are completely different to the world. You see, the world says, blessed are the rich. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor. The world says, blessed are the powerful. But Jesus said, blessed are the meek and the humble. And you see, the way we use our money really reveals how much we have understood Jesus' kingdom. The state of your bank account and budget right in this very moment reveal how deeply the gospel has entered your heart and the extent to which you've embraced Jesus' rule in your life. Jesus says that discovering his kingdom is like discovering immense wealth and treasure. Matthew 13, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a scoundrel found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field from that sucker who sold it for a small price. That's the story coming up again. But notice his joy. His joy when he found the treasure hidden in the field. He sold everything he had to gain access to the kingdom of God. How many of us are that excited about God's kingdom? If you don't have any joy when thinking about Jesus' kingdom, then perhaps you haven't understood what it is. If you don't have any joy when when thinking about Jesus' kingdom, then perhaps we haven't understood what it is. We can enter into his new order here and now. We can begin to live as citizens of this new society that Jesus set up. It's called the church where people aren't cunning with each other, where the vulnerable are taken care of, where we're generous and loving and caring to one another, where the greatest is the servant of all, where there is righteousness, peace and joy, Romans 14 verse 17. Don't you want to be part of something like that? Well, if you're a Christian, you already are. And our mission is to make more disciples for King Jesus to invite more people to come under his kindly rule and experience for themselves just how good he is. Just how good he is. And one of the ways we do this, Jesus says, is by using our wealth and our money. We are to make friends for the kingdom of God by using our worldly wealth. I tell you, Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now there is a bit of debate about who exactly these friends are. But it's probably those that we bless through our worldly wealth in this life. It is the beggar on the street that you gave money to. It is the single mum you helped by cooking meals for her. It is the compassion child that you sponsored and prayed for for all of those years. These people who we bless with our resources will welcome us in our eternal home 
when we arrive there. And there's a contrast going on here. The dishonest manager, he uses his earthly wealth to secure for himself earthly homes. Whereas children of light use their earthly wealth to help others find their heavenly home. And Jesus takes it for granted that the generous person will enter heaven. He just says, when you get there, you'll be welcomed by all the friends you made along the way. You know why Jesus doesn't question the generous person's status with God? It's because the way we use our money reveals whether we are part of the kingdom of light, whether we have understood it. Those who are stingy and self-indulgent behave like the children of the world. Those who are lavishly generous with their possessions and money behave like children of light. We people of the West need to hear this. I know this is challenging. I need to hear this as well. Because consumerism is rampant in our society. And we receive false messages all the time telling us that the more we can consume, either now or later, is our highest goal and greatest joy. We have advertisements to buy the new iPhone for your status. We have emails from super companies telling us that we need to make sure our super is enough when we're at retirement so we can buy it, have that dream retirement. We're always told, keep money for yourselves. Take care of number one. Build up your wealth. We just live in that society. But this statement that riches, wealth, is our, as, as if it's our highest goal and our deepest joy it's a lie it's a lie and the enemy wants nothing more than for you to switch off and ignore this right now but jesus is speaking and he loves you and he speaks hard words to those whom he loves so listen in this is so important this is why martin luther said there are three conversions necessary The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the wallet. You see, money is like fire. Within its proper boundaries, it's useful. But outside of those boundaries, it has the capacity to destroy. So are you using wealth to make friends? Are you using your money to create opportunities to share the gospel? Are you using your possessions like children of light? Those who are children of light are diligent and intelligent and strategic about maximizing their money and possessions for the sake of others, for the sake of the kingdom of God. For you, this might look like cleaning up your budget. I remember one of my favorite pastors, J.D. Greer, explaining the way him and his wife managed their money. Every year they lay it all before God, they reevaluate how they are spending and increase the amount they give away. They want to increase the amount that they give away for the sake of the kingdom of God every single year. So the first year they might have given away 10%, the next year 11, the next year 12, the next year 12.5, whatever it be, they just wanted to increase it every single year. And they aim to increase it every year because they are more excited about the kingdom of God than they are about the pleasure they could find in this world. And they also spend time just praying and listening to God in this area. This is something we can do. We can set aside time to just pray, hand it all over to God, listen to him and see where he wants you to allocate your money for the sake of the kingdom. 
He might want you to allocate money towards children in poverty by sponsoring a compassion child. He might want you to start giving towards your church. He might want you to take $20 cash out every week, put it in your wallet, and pray for opportunities to give it to someone. And then when you give it to them, you tell them why, because Jesus has liberated you from money. It's no longer your joy. There are so many different ways that we can put this into practice, that we can be strategic with our assets, our money, our wealth. Jesus says, use the worldly wealth. Use it not to build retirement, but to gain friends for yourselves. And Jesus' second lesson comes in verses 10 to 12. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. It's funny, he calls the wealth and the money that we have, he just says it's it's very little. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, the little, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, I have a confession to make. I've been speaking about possessions and money and wealth in the wrong way. I've been saying your money, my possessions. But Jesus reveals that in actuality, we own none of it. We own none of it. Now, you might think, look, I've worked extremely hard for what I have. I've, I've earned it. How can you say that it's not my money? Okay, well, let me ask you a question. Who gave you lungs so that you can breathe? Who is holding the very world together right now? Who decided that you would be born with all the opportunities that you have in the West? Everything we have is God's. It's a lot easier to make money when your lungs are working and the world isn't falling apart around you. Everything we have is God's. It's all a gift from Him. The fact that we were born in a society that we can earn money. Everything we have is His. We own none of it. And this is why stinginess and hoarding and overconsumption are actually even more offensive to God than we ever realized. Imagine you are a financial manager. What does a financial manager do? Well, they manage a client's money and wealth to pursue the goals that the client desires. Now, if we ignore the goals of our clients, if we take their money and start using it for our own purposes, we can go to prison. Now, the analogy breaks down because God isn't our client. But he has clearly shown us what he wants us to pursue with his wealth. His desire is for people to come to know his saving grace. His desire is that we would care for the poor. To ignore these desires is embezzlement. Timothy Keller says, If you're not being radically generous, this is not just stinginess, it's robbery. This is not just misliness, it's thievery. This is not just a lack of compassion, this is a lack of integrity. Everything we have belongs to our master, Lord Jesus. It's not our own. And if we cannot be faithful with the small things he has given us, he will not entrust to us the true riches of eternal life. Our wallets need to be converted to God. And if we will freely surrender all of our money and possessions to God, not just 10% of it or a tithe, but all of it to him, we will discover riches in Christ that cannot even compare with the wealth that is in this world. God will lead us to make friends for his kingdom, and we will find that we are relationally rich, not monetarily rich, 
and we will come out from under the tyranny of mammon. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, read on with me to verse 13. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The literal word there is mammon. It's probably an Aramaic word that's in the Greek text. So what is mammon? Well, mammon is, is not just money. Mammon was a word that Jews were using to refer to any of our resources, property, possessions, as well as money. And it is interesting that Luke uses the word in his gospel. He could have used a Greek word for money or possessions or wealth, but instead he imported this Aramaic word into the text. And in fact, this word, mammon, only appears four times in the New Testament, and three of those times it appears in the passage that we are exploring today. One scholar says the idea of the impure, the idea of the dishonest, of the worldly, is intrinsically bound up with the word. In other words, mammon is not neutral, it's deadly. So Jesus lays it out for us really straight because, remember, he loves us. He says there's no halfway mark, there's no grey area. You can either serve God or you can serve mammon. This is so challenging. If we love things, if we love money, the implication of those verses is that we cannot love God. If we are devoted to our career simply so that we can get more mammon, we despise the real God. Sure, you can have a mammon and a bit of religion. You can devote yourself to mammon and still attend church. But you cannot serve mammon and love the true and living God. So each of us has a choice. We can choose to serve and love mammon, or we can choose to serve and love King Jesus. He lays it out for us that starkly. My question is, do you really want to be a part of a society, part of a people where mammon is king? Look at the way Getty treated his family. That's how life ultimately looks like under mammon's rule. It dehumanizes us. Do you really want to subject yourself to that? Instead, you could be part of a society where Jesus is king. And he is such a good king. He is such a loving king. And you know what he did for you and for me? It wasn't a tithe. He didn't give us 10% of himself. Jesus gave us everything. In 2 Corinthians it says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's what he did. That's what he did for you and for me. You see, King Jesus left his royal throne, entered into our world, and emptied himself out for our sake, so that we might escape the West's slavery to mammon, so that we might find forgiveness and righteousness and hope and life, so that we might discover true riches in Jesus and his kingdom. It's his free gift to you and to me. And we receive it by emptying our hands of everything else, by emptying our hands of mammon, of our objectives to the future, and just laying it all before Jesus 
and we open up our hands and we receive all the riches that God would give to us in Christ. That's what God wants to do with all of us this morning. So I encourage you to do that. Let's, let's pray together. Father, this is so challenging, Lord. We are a wealthy people here in Australia. And we're bombarded with messages all the time about money and wealth and possessions. We, we live and we swim in this kind of culture of consumerism. And Lord, it's hard to remove ourselves from it. It's, it's hard sometimes to believe that your promises are really more true than the promises of the advertisers. Lord, we just pray that you would just come into this moment. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just come and communicate the truth of your love for us deeply to our hearts. Lord, we ask, open our eyes to see the kingdom, to see you, Jesus, to see glory and wealth in you that cannot even compare to the wealth that we can have in this world. Lord Jesus, we just want to lay everything at your feet. Father, it looks different for each of us. This is between us and you. Whatever our lifestyle might look like, our budget might look like, but we know that you tell us to give you 100% of it. And Lord, we just want to give that to you. We want to hand it over to you, Lord, and ask, please direct us. We are your people. We have been liberated by your radical generosity toward us through Jesus. And Lord, we, just, we only just want to respond and lay our crowns down at your feet, lay our money down at your feet, and say, just use us however you are willing. We have a glorious inheritance awaiting us in the new heaven and new earth. So Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Help us, liberate us from slavery to mammon, and may we discover the joy and the peace and the life that is in you, Jesus. Pray this for me, and I pray this for everyone else who agrees with this. And we all said, Amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper now. I'm going to ask the stewards to come up and to prepare the